Greetings and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 38 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have our friend Dick Foth with us back on the podcast. And listeners send in questions. We curate those questions, and then I get to sit down and learn from Dick once again today. So, Dick, it's so great to have you with us back on the podcast. Thank you, Aaron. It's always wonderful to see your smiling face on the other side of the world. Not, not that I wouldn't want it on this side. I'm just saying. <laughs> and Dick gets to see my nice map of West Virginia in the background. And uh, exactly. I've been told it looks like a smashed turkey. Um, but at the same time, I think it looks maybe a little prettier than a smashed turkey. But <laughs> I, I can see both of those. We're good. Amen. Dick, I got two questions for you today. Um, the first one is, with COVID not seeming to be letting up, what should you, what should, uh, what should I do if I'm feeling weary and worn out in ministry? You know, years ago, um, when I was a church planter in Illinois, near the University of Illinois, went to a deal where a, where a fellow who became a dear friend later stood up and said, you know, I did a survey one time with young pastors, went around the circle and said, write down 10 things that you are. And they all wrote down, I'm a, I'm a missionary, I'm a church planter, I'm a counselor, I'm a shepherd of the flock, I'm, you know, it's a husband, a father, all this kind of stuff. And one guy, and all of them wrote down 10 things they did. Hmm. Except for one guy, he wrote down nine things that he did, and he came to number 10 and he said, I'm tired. Hmm. And, and, uh, if you if you don't feel tired in your life or weary, uh, you've probably been sitting around eating grapes too much. <laughs> because weariness, weariness tends to be part of the human condition. But in this context, where people around the world um, have been struggling with this pandemic, the, the, the word that comes to me and that I've heard used, people say, I feel like I've been in prison, hmm. that, that I am worn out. You know, I came to do this. I've not been able to do any of that for a year or a year and a half. And it doesn't look like it's letting up. Yeah. What came to mind when I read this question were these verses from the end of Philippians. Here is Paul, who's in prison, I believe, writing to some friends. And, and they've been disconnected in some way. And he writes this way in Philippians 4.10. Excuse me. Yeah, 410. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So, I, And not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. And then that verse that we always quote, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Hmm. Sometimes we just cherry pick that last verse and, and sort of forget that other part where he says, you know, I'm out here sort of on my own, friends, and, and I feel I have felt cut off. So um, with COVID, here's the question again. I want to read it. You've sent it to me. Yeah. With COVID not seeming to be letting up, what should I do if I'm, if I'm feeling weary and worn out in my ministry? Yeah. Most, most of the missionaries, most of the people who are in missions that I know, not all, but many of them, are what I would call extroverts. Hmm. They are like me. 
you engage with the mission, you get your, because you're out there doing the stuff and it energizes you. And even though you're tired, it's a good tired, all that, all that language we use, right? And here's a situation where I'm cut off. I have to do Zoom or phone calls or letters. Um, and I feel that the heart of my person has been cut out because mm-hmm. that's who I, God designed me to engage with people and da 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 da. I would submit this, and I've experienced this in the last year. When we quote the great, what we call the great commandment, you shall love your, the Lord your God with all your hopes, heart, soul, mind, spirit, strength, you know, the, the various framings of that. And the second is like it, love your neighbors yourself, which, which is the mission. Okay. Yeah. Missions is not about loving your neighbor first. It's hmm. first about loving God. And loving God is not an outward journey. Loving Mm. God is an inward journey. It's very difficult for extroverts like me to be contemplative, to slow down long enough to do the inward journey. Mm. It's, It's devotions on the run. It's whatever, oftentimes. And I would say that when I am cut off from other more uh, reflex uh, engagements, like the mission, that it's a it's a tremendous time for me t- to to do the inward adventure, and for for me, I can only speak for me. I have to confess to not being used to that. As a matter of fact, being frustrated by that because I haven't equipped myself with the tools to do that in a in a way that really enriches me at the deepest places. And I found this year that I've made gains in that. You say, well, you're an old dude. You should have this in hand. I know, but I'm confessing here in cyberspace around the world that, that I, he's still working on me. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, no, I appreciate it very, very much. Dick, their, their second question is, I, I do not, the question from the, the listener says, I do not feel I can go to my leadership or my congregation at the present time became, because they seem just as overwhelmed as I am. Um, is this a common challenge for pastors? So this person has asked a yes or no question. Yeah. My answer to that is, <laughs> and my answer to that is, yeah, yeah. it's a common challenge yeah. for pastors yeah. to who to whom can you go? This yeah. is this is like the disciples saying to Jesus, "To whom else can I go?" You know, yeah. you have news of eternal life. Again, I would come back to to a previous question, and say this is the place where I pray somebody in hmm. who would would have a heart for Jesus, but maybe not be in my circle, not okay. be in my mission circle. It could be somebody. Hopefully it might be somebody in the same town, yeah. somebody who's older than you are, unless this is being written by a 92 year old guy, uh, <laughs> you know, somebody, somebody that is older than you, who's been around the sun a number of more, more times. And, and I'm not being trite in saying that I'm saying that, that the greatest gifts that we have in our journey are those individuals who can come alongside and have uh, listening hearts without judgment at the front end, but with um, thoughts and uh, contemplations at the far end of mm. the questions that we're struggling with. So yes, you are not, whoever wrote this question, you are not weird, you yeah. are not strange, you are exactly where 
Um, so many people in scripture are, and where, and where I've been a bunch of times to to whom can I go? And, um, that's what I have. Good word. Good word. Dick, it's always gold. Appreciate you, um, spending some time with us today on the podcast. We're going to go ahead and jump into our time, um, with Paul Tripp where we'll learn from Paul today. This is a little bit different style. Normally I sit down and get the interview, but um, with Paul's writing um, program and his speaking, we were not able to coordinate a time for us to get together, but do get to learn from his teaching that he sent uh, sent for us. And um, I think it'll be valuable for each of us. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. It's an honor to be with you. I, I have an enormous respect for those who have given themselves to regular ministry in the local church. My, my job is much easier. I uh, zoom in uh, for a few minutes, create gospel trouble, and then I leave. And uh, I'm very... Uh, aware of the huge importance of the life and ministry of the local church and the huge uh, struggles and sacrifices that are made by those who are in leadership. And as I was just going through this material in preparation for our time together, I was reminded again of how much I need everything that I write. I was minded again that I am a man in desperate need of God's grace and the essential sanctifying ministry of the body of Christ. I do not stand above what I write. I stand in the middle of what I write. And maybe it'd be helpful to begin by, by talking a little bit about how I arrived at the book Lead, the, the history of this book. Uh, Most of you probably know, several years ago, I published a book called Dangerous Calling. Uh, Dangerous Calling is about the unique temptations uh, to those in pastoral ministry. And I knew when I wrote Dangerous Calling that my life would change. That because of the reach of that book, um, as pastors found themselves in trouble or leadership, found a pastor in trouble, I would be the one who got the call. And that began to happen. And I had call after call involved in some of the most uh, globally known and some unknown uh, moments of pastoral struggle. And the more I lived in those stories, the more I became convinced that Behind fallen pastors was almost always a dysfunctional leadership community. That ministry is never, ever, ever an individual thing. Ministry is always a community project. And when you forget that, you're a person already in trouble. And so I decided I just had to write the second book that would address the leadership community. And, and the, 
I can give you the, the thesis, the, the main thought of lead in, in essentially a sentence. It's, it's this, that, that the key to fruitfulness in ministry is longevity. The Bible would teach us that change is seldom an event. Change is most often a process. And so if I'm going to be have long-term lasting fruit, it requires longevity. Now, here's the second part of the sentence. The key to longevity is spiritual health. Uh, the only way you're going to uh, sustain the ebb and flow, uh, the pressures and sufferings of life in uh, leadership in the local church is if you're spiritually healthy. I, I deeply believe that a call to pastoral ministry is a call to suffer. And you're not, we're not wired to suffer alone. And, um, you know, you, because you don't just suffer the thing that you're suffering, you suffer the way that you're suffering, the thing that you're suffering. We bring things to our suffering and we need others to comfort and encourage and correct and direct us. So the key to, to ministry fruitfulness is longevity. The key to longevity is spiritual health. And I've already given this away. The key to spiritual health is gospel community. Uh, we're meant to live in gospel community. I have my, my Bible open right now to Ephesians 4. I, I did that on purpose to remind myself again that there's no indication anywhere in the New Testament that a pastor is safe living up above or outside of the body of Christ. Uh, your, your qualification for ministry, your entrance into ministry, or your graduates from seminary doesn't mean now you are able to live an isolated, discon disconnected Christian life. There's just no indication of that. Uh, a member is, uh, a pastor is a member of the body of Christ with all the needs of that minister of the body of Christ that everyone else has. Uh, Christ is the head of his body. That means everything, everything else is just body. Uh, so so we, we, are, we are wired to live in gospel community. Now, what does that mean? It's the kind of community that's only formed when you have a robust uh, trust in the truths of the gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, th those allow you to live in community in ways that you never would. Uh, my ability to live in community with other people is not first because I trust them. It's because I trust Christ. I believe in his presence. I believe in his promises. I believe in his power. I believe in his grace. I understand that I'm just a package of weaknesses held together by grace, but I'm not afraid to live in community with others because of my robust trust in Christ. What does that community look like? Well, it's marked first by humility. Um, that humility doesn't require that I always present myself as mature and, and righteous. It allows me 
to bear my weaknesses. Why can I do that? Because I, I really do believe that there's nothing that could be confessed, exposed, or uncovered about me that hasn't already been covered by the blood of Jesus. And so uh, I'm, I'm able to live I'm able to live in dependency. That's the second thing with, with other people. Because I don't think that I have to have it all together myself. And I'm not afraid to confess my immaturity. I'm not afraid to confess my need. Uh, and I'm not afraid to, to listen and hear from others. It's a culture of what I like to call prepared spontaneity. Uh, I don't know when I'm going to have an opportunity to enter into the struggle of the leader next to me. But because of the commitment to gospel community and because of my robust uh, trust in the gospel, I'm prepared for that moment. I don't know when it's going to come, but I'm prepared because we have a community that lives with those kinds of commitments and those kinds of preparedness. It's Fourthly, a community of inspection is the word I would use. Uh, it means that we're always examining ourselves and we're always open to the examination of others. I, I think because of the dynamic of spiritual blindness, that self-examination is a community project. Uh, it's, it's deeply unbiblical to say this to yourself. No one understands me better than than. I understand myself. No one knows me better than I do. Because as long as spiritual blindness lives inside of us, there will be pockets of personal spiritual blindness. I need others to help me see myself with accuracy. Uh, not only protection, it's a culture, uh, inspection, it's a culture of protection. We, we are looking out for one another. We, we love one another to have sort of a, a guardian relationship with one another. We want to protect one another from the, the seductive temptations of ministry and the seductive temptations of life in a fallen world. And then it's community of restoration. When sin rears its ugly head, we don't just dump our problems but we really commit ourselves to gospel restoration. I love that the gospel offers us fresh starts and new beginnings. I love the, the story of Jonah after Jonah was swallowed by that big fish and, and by grace vomited back up on the shore. Sometimes grace looks like vomit. You've heard it here first. Uh, that... Chapter 3, the first verse of chapter 3 of Jonah says these words, the word of the Lord came a second time to Jonah, that God was giving this rebel recalcitrant man who ran away from the call of God a second chance. What a, what a beautiful thing that is. Humility, dependency, prepared spontaneity, inspection, protection, restoration. We've, we've, we've got to live in gospel community. I would ask you, do you have that kind of gospel community around you? If not, why? And if not, what are the steps you need to take to make sure you're living in that kind of gospel community? 
The second thing I think is important uh, about the material in Lee is it really does uh, go after the achievement culture that is, I think, taken over modern Christianity. Now, now, I want to make sure you hear me. Uh, I think that we should be hugely passionate for the gospel. We ought to commit ourselves to expend our gifts and our time and energy for the advancement of the kingdom of God. That should be a fire in our bellies. And I think that I'm probably older than anyone who is hearing me now. I still wake up every morning with that passion in my belly. But a ministry community whose time is dominated by the business of the church will tend to be spiritually unhealthy. Uh, if achievement becomes the highest value, we will be spiritually unhealthy. You say, well, Paul, why? Well, let, let, me, let me give you some thoughts into how achievement becomes dangerous. Achievement come, becomes dangerous when it controls our definition of a leader. Achievement becomes dangerous when it controls our definition of a leader. Think of the qualifications for elder in Timothy. Uh, only one of those qualifications is skill-oriented. Every other qualification is character-based. God's definition of a leader is almost entirely character. It's not a matter of the ability of this person to do. It's who, at the level of the heart, this person is. And when you begin begin to weigh it toward a skill-based, an achievement-based, a result-based definition of a leader, and you diminish the significance of character, you're already heading down a pathway of trouble. Achievement is dangerous when it forms our view of success and failure. Um, look, we believe that it's only ever God in his grace through the power of his spirit that creates change. The fruit is the fruit of the spirit. And so I can be a leader that's been disciplined and faithful and loving and brought the right character to my ministry and not be seeing the fruit that I would love to see. And you can, you can also be a leader who lacks all of those character qualities, but has a winning personality and ability to communicate that will appear to have lots of fruit. And so we, we need to redefine success and failure. Failure is being lazy. Failure is being arrogant. Failure is being dismissive of the gifts of others. Uh, failure is a refusal to deal with my, my own sin. Failure is unfaithfulness to the gospel. We, we, we need to alter our definition of failure. Achievement becomes dangerous when it silences honest leader communication. 
when it's silence, it's honest leader communication. Listen, listen. Uh, if you have a community that is overvalued uh, achievement and the gatherings are all about success stories and the next plan to build something, nobody's going to confess failure in that kind of community. Uh, so uh, achievement becomes dangerous when it silences leaders' communication. Uh, achievement becomes dangerous when it begins to view disciples as consumers. Uh, when, when we, our goal is to see how many cons consumers we can draw and get committed to the thing that we're trying to build. When achievement begins to alter the view, the way that we view people. Uh, I was telling as a seminary professor, a, a story of a troubled person in my congregation and one of my seminary students raised his hand. And he said, okay, Dr. Tripp, we know that we're gonna have these problems, these projects in our church. Tell us what to do with them so we can get back to the work of the ministry. Now think about what he said. He didn't even view those troubled people as people. They were projects. How do I get them out of the way so I can get back to the work of the ministry? Then I was wondering, well, what is his definition of the work of the ministry? Well, achievement becomes dangerous as disciples are viewed as consumers. Achievement becomes dangerous when it causes us to take credit for what we could have never done or produced on our own. If we begin to take credit for what only God could do through us or what could only be done in community with others were in spiritual trouble. And then I will say one more thing. Achievement becomes dangerous when prayer is replaced with planning. When, when we're together, uh, prayer is a perfunctory thing that we do in the beginning of what we really think is important. And what we really think is important is the next set of strategic plans. When we are no longer uh, praying community. Now, let me, let me give you how this achievement orientation develops and uh, becomes dangerous. I don't believe, I believe there are very few arrogant leaders who start out and say, I'm going to make this ministry all about me and I'm going to replace achievement or character with achievement. But as a person becomes successful, a person produces fruit. The people who are meant to be that person's protectors begin to become his defenders or her defenders. Uh, so the people that I was meant to live in community with 
Now, when somebody is hurt by something I've done or that comes a charge against me, they rise to my defense and say, but look at all God has done through him. Look at all the fruit that's been produced. And, and what they do is they actually push away, sometimes even accuse the person who is coming with concern. Protectors become defenders. And then defenders ultimately become advocates. They become part of the system. They buy into the system. And they are completely comfortable with something that they would have never been comfortable with in the beginning. We have seen this happen too many times. Think of the well-known global Christian leaders who have fallen in the last 10 years. The first response of every leadership community has been to defend them and to uh, push back against the people that brought concerns. The protectors became defenders and became advocates. And so what we need, it, we need to live in communities of candor. That means honesty. Honesty is about who I am in my own walk with the Lord, a community of honesty is one of the greatest protections to the long-term fruitfulness and spiritual health of a pastor. And to have that kind of community, there are two character qualities that are necessary. First, the humility of approachability. The humility of approachability. Ask yourself, Am I approachable? Do I live approachable? Do the people around me know me as being approachable? Uh, am, I, am I defensive? Do I distance myself from people? Uh, what do you do when someone brings a concern? the humility of approachability. And then second character quality is the courage of loving honesty. Now that phrase is important. First, it must be loving honesty. Uh, truth not spoken in love ceases to be truth because it's bent and twisted by other emotions and other agendas. It's the truth spoken in love. And there's the courage of loving honesty. I have to love you enough that I'm willing to step into tense, awkward, difficult moments in order to get us where we need to be. A while back, one of my dearest friends had one of those moments with me. It was hard. It was awkward. And, and often people say, well, the reason I'm not approaching him is I love him too much. No, the reason we don't is we love ourselves too much, and we don't want to go through one of those tough moments when they arise. The humility of approachability 
and the courage of loving honesty. What silences us? Well, let me list a few things and then I'll be done. What silences us is first our pride in personal maturity. There is a tendency for people who have theological degrees and are in significant ministry positions in the local church to think of themselves as grace graduates. You may have graduated from seminary and you may have graduated into an ordination or graduated into a important role of leadership in the local church. But there is no such thing as a grace graduate. This side of eternity, grace is a school that never has a graduation ceremony. Second is the, our scary ability to minimize sin. When, when conviction comes into your heart or someone points out your sin, you have one of two uh, choices to make. You either confess that what you've done is sin and you place yourself under the justifying mercies of Christ, or you erect some system of self-justification that will make that sin acceptable to your conscience. We do that all the time. I wish I could say I never do that. And so we have to fight that ability to, to be more concerned about the sin of others than we are about ourselves. Uh, third thing that silences us is our need to have the respect of others. I think leadership communities are harmed because we need people to respect us too much. Uh, the only thing that ever solves that is a robust identity in Christ. And then I think the last thing is just functional gospel amnesia. We have to remind ourselves one again and again who we are in Christ. When you forget who you are in Christ, you quit pursuing what belongs to you in Christ. One of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, this passage is a dear friend to me, is 2 Peter chapter 1. <coughs> Where Peter uh, actually proposes that people who really do know the Lord have lives that are ineffective and unproductive. They're not producing the expected harvest of the fruit of faith. And he ends the passage by saying that the reason they're ineffective and unproductive, because they've forgotten that they've been cleansed from their past sins. What he's saying is the reason they're ineffective and unproductive, even though they might have the right confessional gospel theology in the way that they live, they're gospel amnesiacs. They've forgotten who they are. They've forgotten what they've been given. And because I have this propensity to gospel amnesia, this propensity to not look at myself and my needs and my calling through the lens of the presence and promises and power and grace of Jesus, I need to live in community with other people who are constantly reminding me of the gospel. I don't mean constantly talking about the gospel confessionally. Because the, 
if, if theology is only formal and abstract for us, it's bad theology. Theology that does not produce gospel community is unbiblical theology. Because the theology of the word of God is never, ever meant just to be informational. It's meant to be transformational. And so I need people that are constantly reminding me of who I am in Christ. Really what the book Lead is about is how important it is for us as leaders to realize our need for the gospel, to form around us robust, active, regular, guiding, correcting, inspecting, encouraging, empowering gospel community, to fight making achievement become the highest value of that community where we're better at the business of the church with one another than being the church with one another. And seek the grace of God that we would be humbly approachable and courageous and loving in our honesty, walking together in gospel candor, uh, doing the work that God has called for us to do. God help us.